Today's guest is Paral Singh. If you're a software engineer or otherwise in tech in the UK, chances are you've come across some of Paral's content. As well as providing a ton of interview tips and salary negotiation strategies, Paral also has learned to code herself. In fact, the first time I came across any of her content, she'd actually written a job advertisement in JavaScript, believe it or not. If you're in the first few years of your career, I highly suggest you listen to this interview. Paral's tips will help you skip a few rungs on that ladder to tech leadership. And if you want some peer support while you climb that ladder, then please do join the Discord. We're slowly building up a little community of people that are really investing in, their, in themselves and their tech careers. So come and join us on there. The link is in the description and the invite should never expire. Come and chat with me on that. But for now, push those commits, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, Perul, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Hey, Cam. I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm not bad, thanks. I'm uh, recovering from my booster um, a little bit, but uh, you know, I'm still living, so can't can't really complain. Um, so yeah, I'm all I'm all good, thanks. And uh, for listeners who aren't too familiar with you, do you want to give a bit of a background into who you are and what you do? Sure. So I, by title, I'm a senior JavaScript recruiter at Manhattan Partners. So we're a startup tech recruitment company. Um, but outside of that, I have also been learning to code in my spare time. It's been almost two years since I started it. Um, just really enjoy it. Like obviously really helps with like the day job as well. I know we're gonna talk about that a little bit more later. Um, I'm also a mental health and ADHD advocate, really passionate about all things like DNI. Um, and I also run one of Manchester's largest um, tech meetup groups, which is Mank Web, which I'm gonna give a little shout out at the end as well. If anybody wants to come along, we've got some more events coming up soon. And I guess the final thing on that roster will be um, I also volunteer with a wonderful organisation called Code Your Future. We provide a code and education to people from disadvantaged backgrounds, refugees, asylum seekers, women, people who live below the poverty line. So, um, again, we'll like send over some links if anybody wants to get involved. Fantastic stuff. Well, there's certainly a lot to talk about there. So that, that sounds <laughs> awesome. Uh, and normally the way we like to get things rolling on the code of career um, is with some quick fire questions. Uh, now, um, I think I sent these over to you beforehand. So um, ho- hopefully, uh, hopefully there's some uh, interesting <laughs> ones coming up here. The tech city one is always the controversial one. Um, so yeah. let's kick it off with a new quick fire question. Uh, what is your favorite food? I think my favorite food has to be sushi. It's something that I can probably eat like pretty much any time. I know people think of that and they're like, oh, like raw fish, but there's so many different things. And if I had to eat one cuisine for the rest of my life, it's probably Japanese food. Mm. Japanese is a strong contender. I, I would say Japanese or Italian for me. Um, until Ooh. the end of time, that's what I'd go uh, what, what I'd go for. But Japanese is hard to beat because they have the curries, they have the ramen uh-huh. and the broths and the sushi and yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Is there a is there a restaurant if I ever find myself down in uh, down in the northwest um, that I should particularly try that you'd recommend for Japanese food? Yeah, so there's a um, there's a place which has three places. It's called Wasabi, but it's not the same one which has chains mm-hmm. like all over the world. And um, it's a bit more independent. It's Yo Sushi style, so you get stuff coming around on the belts, and they have possibly some of the nicest um, like ramen that like I've ever had. And I really recommend like the spicy base. If you find yourself down here or any of the listeners, that's probably my favorite place for sushi. Very good. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll definitely put that one on the list because uh, I'm always looking for good Japanese food. Uh, that sounds great. And um, in terms of when you're coding or otherwise working, like when you're recruiting as well, um, what yeah. kind of music do you like to listen to? 
So there's, <laughs> I'm one of those people that will literally listen to pretty much any kind of music. Like my playlist goes from like Lewis Capaldi to um, like Metallica to like all sorts <laughs> of random stuff. But um, the one that like the artist that I really like listening to um, will be a pianist called Ludovico Analdi. So if anybody hasn't like listened to his, any of his music, um, I find it like really motivational. I find it hard to listen to music with words when mm. I'm coding but I can do it like when I'm doing the day job and like recruitment. So um, do check them out on Spotify if you get a chance. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I've, I've found this as well. One of the, uh, in my first dev job, the senior engineer, um, Bavin, shout out to you if you're listening. Um, his <laughs> tip to me was uh, uh, listen to movie soundtracks when you code because uh, there's often not words and uh, it's often quite really good background music and a lot of like piano swell um uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, piano swells <laughs> and, and that kind of thing that is, uh, yeah, it's really cool. Um, I like listening to, one that I always come back to is the um, Mr. Robot soundtrack, um, which is so good. And nice. obviously it's all cybersecurity uh, based, a TV show. So um, makes me feel like a hacker when I'm doing it, even though I'm just messing around in React. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's um, what we all like to feel like when we're coding, isn't it? You're just like, oh, I'm going to like hack into like, this website and stuff like mm. that. But in reality, you're just uh, creating like a submit button for a form. Yeah. You end up catching the bug, I think, via, uh, via just messing about usually, I, I find. Like for me, I think it was when I first discovered Inspect Element that I got interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that yes. was all the way back in school. But then, you know, gradually the seed was there and it planted. And then I didn't actually learn to code until I was... 23 so relatively young but i graduated uni and stuff by that point so mm-hmm. um, but yeah planted the seed early on for me <laughs> yeah and what what about when you do your work um are you more of an early bird or a night owl oh definitely an early bird but 100 percent not by choice um <laughs> i think like for my first job i had to just get up like stupid early so i think i've, I've always been like a pretty much a morning person but um, so my partner starts work at 7.30. So he has to, yeah, I know it's really early. So he leaves, our, we live around the corner from his office. So um, he leaves at like 10 past seven and gets in at like quarter past seven, which is great. Um, but because I think I'm quite a light sleeper. So once he's up and about like in the morning and he's, we live in a small apartment, it just kind of like wakes me up. So I got into the habit of like just starting work early and the idea of just finishing at like four o'clock and having hours for yourself in the evening is um yeah it's just really good and I find that like nobody really expects me to like reply to them on anything till nine o'clock so I get that amazing focus time between half seven and nine which is I'm just so at peace I could see that definitely in in, uh, well I could see it in coding and in recruitment but I I was thinking definitely in recruitment like if you have some hours where you're not gonna be badgered with phone calls (laughs) then and you can get your admin done because uh, I remember when I was recruiting, like that was the most difficult part was actually finding a good window to get my admin done. I was never disciplined to get up that early, um, but I kind of wish I had because that would have made my life much, uh, much easier. Yeah, I think when you're working in recruitment, uh, it's a little bit different now because people are like working from home. Um, and, you know, if you give a candidate a call, like they're probably going to take it. But, you know, there was a time when you're trying to catch people like on their way to and from work. So yeah. you'd start like really early and probably finish like really late as well. So I think you basically just have to adjust to it. But I'm really fortunate to work for a company where we're completely flexible. So I don't sleep with an alarm. I find it much better mm. to just let yourself like wake up naturally. 
So sometimes, I mean, um, you're like, you'll know this, but I'm like, just about still recovering from COVID. We could listen to this back in a couple of years and be like, COVID, remember that? <laughs> I hope um, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I think I'm hoping it's a distant memory. Um. Yeah. But like because of that, I have been sleeping like ten ten hours like some nights. So sometimes I wake up at like eight o'clock, and I think it's a really good way to just start your day when like your body feels right, like you're just so much more productive. So that the days of my alarm going off at five fifty in the morning are long gone. You might remember that from your recruitment days. Yeah. I um. Yeah. Particularly my first job because I was still staying at my parents who have moved back up here as well now but um at the time uh, we were down in uh, in Hertfordshire and commuting into London just getting up after being at uni where I was getting up at 11 a.m maybe um and then uh, yeah. going, going down and getting that I remember getting a 7 a.m train with my dad and just not being able to understand how he was just so alive awake and all the rest of it and just <laughs> just being completely drained and then um yeah ma- making all those uh making all those phone calls mm. uh, to, to Germany actually um, but the, oh. the funny thing was my first recruitment job was I was recruiting graduates. So I would get in very early because that's what the boss said to do. But because it was graduates, they were all in their third year of uni. So none of them would get up before like 11. 11. Yeah, 11. Yeah, I genuinely just call them and they'd still be asleep. Like it was just a routine. Um, so, yeah, yeah that, that, it was a bit silly. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> enough about my soft story about the <laughs> job I did in 2016. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, before you became a recruiter, um, and I saw you had an interesting route into it, because your, your uh, academic background, you did chemistry, right? So did you yeah. chemist when you were a kid? How did that come about? If I'm going to be honest, Cam, I had no idea what I wanted to do at uni. I just picked chemistry because it was my best subject. Don't know why I ended up doing a master's in it. Thank you, ridiculous amounts of student debt. Um, <laughs> I think I figured out really early on that I probably didn't really want to work in chemistry because I'd probably be working in a lab and mm. I'd be really isolated. And if I'm honest, not very well paid. So that's why I ended up in recruitment. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and how, how did you find it? Was it the sort of thing where, was it the classic falling into it? Or did you find it when you were like graduating and went, went through that way? Um, so I decided to just chill for a couple of months after uni and then, um, you know, funds start running out, you start panicking and I was left, right and centre, graduate jobs, Manchester, Liverpool. I was just like, I'll just, I'll just see, I'll just see what happens. And then, um, I got, I got this interview, um, which, which was like my first company in the end. And, um, I had to get up really early. Um, I had to go over to like Leeds for this assessment day. It was like brutal. Mm. I didn't think I was going to get the job and then, um, ended up getting it. And I thought from the first chat, it was basically like, um, you know, you've got to be really good with people, um, which I am. You've got to be good at talking to people. We're 10 minutes into this. I think you probably get the gist that <laughs> I'm, a, you know, but got got a bit of like the gift of the gab. Um, so I just thought, do you know what? Like, I'll give it a go. If it's not for me in a year, then, um, you know, I'll look into something else. But, you know, three and a half years later, I'm, I'm still here. So I think I've definitely made the right decision there. Cool. And uh, what, what's your favourite tech city? I mean, you, you dropped names of, a, of three cities there. Is it one of them? <laughs> yes. So I am, if a lot of people probably tell from my accent, I um, grew up in Liverpool. Um, so parents still live over in Crosby, but I moved to Manchester for uni in 2014. Just absolutely fell in love with the city. Like, it's so much going on all the time. It's so vibrant, obviously. Um, like, the, the clubbing scene, the bars, the music, the culture, football, if you're into that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and then now going into tech recruitment, like, 
it is basically it's a pretty much like a mini London so there's so many companies that like you know we work with or that I'm aware of that have open second offices in Manchester because they know there's so much like talent here um whereas obviously London's like super competitive we have so many amazing like communities and um, there's so many great meetups as well as I mentioned I do organize um some of them there's some other ones great for like data women in tech um so I think it's a good place to be if you want all the benefits of being in a big tech scene like London but you not necessarily want to pay the kind of price of living there <laughs> yeah um i i it's actually uh, uh something that um, annoys me is the fact that i've lived in the uk since i was seven i think and i've still yeah. never been to manchester um <gasps> and it's because the thing is i love the music that comes out of there um yeah. i like football as well and you know there's all these excuses i would have to go to manchester i've, I've still never uh-huh. made it um <gasps> i've been to the ice rink which is i don't think counts as visiting manchester no nope, um, absolutely but, not <laughs> um but yeah I'd, yeah it's kind of a great shame for me I've, I've not made it but yeah I've, I've only heard great things about the tech scene like um it's a similar kind of movement to what's going on here in Edinburgh is where people are leaving London mm-hmm. and um you know we're getting these secretary hubs which is a great thing for the UK tech scene I think because yeah you can't have things too London centric otherwise we end up with a finance situation uh like like, like down in the square mile so um yeah yeah it's it, it's exciting times and I definitely need to visit it's uh on my list for sure um yeah please do we, let me know when you come up I will. Or down, yeah. sorry. Oh, down, yeah, give me no Yeah, despite the accent, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the most uh, London-sounding uh, Scott you'll ever hear. Um, I, I am, for sure. Um, yeah. And in terms of getting into uh, recruitment, obviously you touched on um, how, how you got in there. How did the uh, first few months go? And um, what uh, made you want to learn to code? Because I think I've actually been following you on LinkedIn since I was yeah. a recruiter. I was just about to leave. And I noticed, oh. uh, and I was back to be, a, uh, I was working at Third Eye as their internal recruiter. Uh-huh. And I spotted your tagline, uh, the recruiter who also codes. Um, so I followed you back then. So I think I've actually been following you for years now. Um, and oh, that would have been that. 2018. So I guess early on, you probably, um, uh, you, you probably kind of had that spark for coding, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess for like the first question in terms of the few months, like I thought, like, what am I doing here? I could have done, there's recruiters for every every kind of job right so I was like why have I gone into tech like I don't know anything about it like am I going to be taken seriously um you know also potentially like as a woman of color and you know it like you know it it was a little bit different back then I think and um I thought should I do like something else um but like I'm 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 really I'm glad I'm stubborn as I am (laughs) Um, and I think that's down to like how my parents raised me and I always said you know mama didn't raise no quitter and glad like I kind of like stuck through it like there are some brutal recruitment companies out there but you know I've obviously found like a really good home for me um and then in terms of the like second question I it uh, you know speaking to candidates it sparks that interest you know uh, particularly when I went into the JavaScript market because you know a couple of years ago it was it was still like very emerging JavaScript mm-hmm. was no longer just the front end language for all of these like back ends like .NET and Java and Python you know it was becoming like an ecosystem of itself and hearing people using React Native to like build apps building like their own websites and startups using it and I was like could I maybe like learn how to code and then candidates like what I found is that developers are some of the most helpful people they just they can't help like helping (laughs) like 
they just they just want to support which has been so amazing so after speaking some to some people they recommended some courses so i just started doing one on udemy which is the full stack web development bootcamp by cold steel oh, um, really one. recommend yeah yeah it's a really good one um and then I just found myself so it really ramped up when I was in the first lockdown so you all know we literally had nowhere to go like nothing yeah. to do so I would actually do my weekend every Saturday Sunday it was like a school day I'd wake up I'd do coding I'd take a break for breakfast I'd get back into coding take a break for lunch and I just do that like and I absolutely just powered through the course it's so addictive like <laughs> when you start building things and you see like how the how you can build stuff that like is powering the internet stuff that you use and the apps and stuff every day like it's definitely like really really addictive so I think that's kind of like how I felt how I fell into it and I found like starting to share my journey on LinkedIn is what really catapulted like my personal brand as well I gone from one or two one to three likes on a post and and a couple hundred views to some of them have like 60 80 000, some of them 600 800 likes which I just talked about what I'd been learning so far and it was just mind-blowing to see like how many people were like so invested in that journey and really respected it coming from like a recruiter as well so I think that's part of the things that have like kept me really motivated through it yeah brilliant and I think speaking as a uh, as someone who was a recruiter and now a candidate I'm yeah. always going to trust someone who knows about JavaScript and like what the practical uses are like it, it's yeah. great to be honest even step zero if we're talking JavaScript terms is mm -hmm. uh the fact that uh, <laughs> a recruiter knows the difference between Java and JavaScript you know is the platform. yes <laughs> um, but you know beyond that if you under, if understanding how that all works is is fantastic because you're gonna be giving mm -hmm. candidates better jobs and better fits uh for, for them so that's fantastic and um, you know, it's really awesome that you've uh, spent your um, uh, spent spent your spare time upskilling in that. And obviously, we've talked about um, how you work as a recruiter. Um, for you, you see a load of CVs every day, and particularly mm. for junior developers. Uh, that's yeah. probably the only one where there's a huge outstrip of supply versus demand because people often, mm. unfortunately, don't hire junior developers. What, what's yeah. the best way to stand out um, at a glance on on someone's CV or, or resume for our American listeners? Yes. Um, so I do get quite a lot of people reaching out on LinkedIn. Um, I don't tend to recruit for a lot of like junior roles, but when I have, I've been absolutely inundated with applications and you are right. This is going to apply to pretty much every company. This bottleneck I think will change. Um, it's not going to last forever. So for anybody who is a little bit worried, um, that's my gut instinct. But at the moment you do absolutely have to go that extra mile to stand out. And I think and this is my opinion. I mean, feel free to like disagree. There might be some people that do. I think the the traditional way of just looking at a CV and just taking away from that what you want from a candidate, we're like, we're moving away from that. Like mm -hmm. there's so many other ways that you can showcase like your talent, like your passion, like what you're doing like day to day. And I think the strongest way to do that is starting to build a little bit of a personal brand, starting to post on LinkedIn about your journey, starting to get involved in like some meetup groups, starting posting on like Twitter. You can do like hashtag 100 days of codes. And um, I know hiring managers that have identified junior candidates this way. They're like, do you know what? We actually didn't have a role, but I saw so-and-so posting about their journey, really liked how they talked about the tech that, that like they're working with and um, keeping everybody posted. So I decided to reach out to them. Imagine being on that position where you're no longer applying for jobs as a junior and people are reaching out to you. So 
I know that's like sidetracked a little bit, but just really wanted to emphasize like how much of a difference it makes. Like, let's say we've got two CVs here. So mm. I've got one pretty plain kind of like words format and they've regurgitated the same kind of stuff that you see from like bootcamp candidates particularly because they tend to work on a lot of like the same projects. So we see the weather app, we see the to-do list app, like you'll know those kind of generic ones that like you see all the time. This candidate also hasn't really written a personal summary. I don't know a lot about them and they don't have any links to socials, no GitHub, no Twitter or anything. And I'm not saying I would discount that candidate, but then let's say we've got candidate B. They've got a really good personal summary, which not only tells me what they've been learning, what they've been building, what they're passionate about. I also really encourage people to talk about transferable skills from other roles. So just because you are an entry-level developer does not mean you have no experience. You have experience. You just don't have professional coding experience. Like you'll know a developer's day a lot of the time is like, could be 50% coding so let's say for example like you know you went from like tech recruitment into um development like what would you say like what are the transferable skills you felt you could bring to the table that non-recruiters couldn't um the absolutely mad work ethic that recruiters are forced to pick up um very quickly um and also as well i think stuff like attention to detail um learning on the fly um i think as well maybe going away from the recruitment side of things i think with my business degree i've been able to draw on a ton of that particularly as a front-end developer, thinking about uh, the user experience and the customer journey and, um, you know, how, how we can reduce friction. Um, it's sometimes it's actually to your advantage. And I get, I get asked this question all the time. Do you not just wish mm. you'd done a comp side degree? But I actually really don't because um, it yeah. means I have a pair of eyes that someone who maybe has only done computer science uh, d- doesn't have. And I think it would, it would behoove everyone who goes and does, you know, a business degree or an arts degree uh, to do a technical, a few technical modules at uni and uh, definitely vice versa. If you're doing comp sci or something similar, um, you know, it'd be, it's great to, you know, do anything, history, business um, for a few modules if your uni allows it. So I know a lot of listeners are university students. I mean, that, that was a bit of a tangent, but basically, yeah, I was able yeah. to learn a ton from being a recruiter and um, the time management thinking as well is huge, being able to time box stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I honestly, I know so many people who've gone on to be amazing engineers and then engineer managers, like people who've come from like construction, photography, HR, recruitment, like so many different roles. Like there is a lot that you can bring to the table and any hiring manager is going to know that like a lot of people at entry level are going to have a fairly similar capability in terms of coding. So you need to think about what other interpersonal skills you can bring to the table and you need to really highlight those in that first section because there's probably some crazy stat about it, but like a recruiter or a hire manager is going to know within seconds whether they're going to give you a call or not. Give them something to latch on to in that introduction section. So don't just say like, hi, I'm Parol. I've got 3.5 years of tech experience and I'm looking for my best developer role in Manchester. I work for JavaScript and React. Like that's not enough. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell you anything about me. You need to bring it to life. So that's the first bit to tackle on your CV. Um, additionally, you're probably not going to have like relevant like tech experience potentially or like limited. So when you're talking about like work experience, try to put a couple of bullet points, which again, highlight some like the transferable skills and um, do not go too far back. Like for example, I, if I was going for a dev role now, I probably wouldn't highlight my role in hospitality that I did in like 2014. And yeah. um, I might do probably for like the last couple of years. So, you know, by rule of thumb, two pages, but again, 
there's always a lot of advice out there. Like you'll see people on LinkedIn, like, oh, do this on your CV. Don't do this on your CV. I don't look at CVs with this. And be wary of like bad advice. Like people are like, never have your CV more than two pages. I don't think that's necessary. I think there's a point where it's a little bit too long, but you could be cutting out like valuable information. So yeah, it's useful as a rule of thumb, isn't it? But sometimes yeah. people panic and think that has to be this framework. <laughs> Um, although yeah. uh, something, a caveat as well, which I feel like I'm doing a lot recently about American yeah. listeners. I know you make up a fair portion of the listener base now. I do yes. believe a resume is supposed to be one page there. Um, but yes. yeah, for us in the UK and, and Europe, like I think, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you. It doesn't matter if it stretches onto a third page, like if you can't fit the stuff in. But I agree about deleting irrelevant stuff. Like the day I was able to delete the uh, warehouse manager <laughs> job that I got sacked from when I was 17 <laughs> was a good day. <laughs> love that love that probably probably such a good turning point um and i think as well as like just um just keeping an eye out for you know like grammatical errors and and spelling mistakes and you know i appreciate for some people it's english may not be like your first language and so just getting like other people to check over it so um i always get messages from people looking for the first role and i say look i don't have anything for you would you like me to like review your cv um really good way to do this if possible put your cv onto a google document Mm -hmm. and then send the link because as a recruiter who's looking at that i can add comments and you can resolve them this is so much easier for me and i'm much more we're all more likely to do something if it's easy, right? So that way you can collate different feedback from different people and make those changes. And then you can say, okay, Parallel, I've done the changes, resolve the comments, can you have another look at it? Rather than sending a PDF because it's just putting extra steps in. So um, get lots of different people to review your CV, um, like senior developers, agency recruiters, internal recruiters, engineering managers, the more people that you can have eyes over, um, the better it's going to be. And I think the final thing on that will be make sure that you have the correct contact information. I've had people CVs come up on the job board and they've missed a digit out of their phone number. And I'm just like, and they've maybe not seen or replied to my emails. I did my first grad job, um, <laughs> which actually maybe I wish I hadn't taken. But uh, they, um, yeah, I put in the wrong phone number and it took him 12 attempts to get me. And luckily, <sighs> the internal recruiter, um, she was obviously kind enough and realized that I probably yeah. had made a mistake as a, as a you know 20-year-old grad. She went on my LinkedIn and said, hey, I've been trying to get a hold of you. Is your number uh... right? And I was so grateful. But it's it happens so easily. Like You've got to be so careful with these things. Yes, it does. Um, so just making sure that I know some people actually create like separate um, emails for like careers stuff. And um, yeah. so that could, that, yeah, that could also work, you know, like, um, you know, parallelcareers at, at gmail.com or something. Not a real email, by the way. Um, <laughs> but um, so if you're actively job hunting and you, and you want to keep everything in one place, you can have to be organized. But, you know, make sure there's a number, make sure there's an email, mm-hmm. any links to any social media. Do you have GitHub? Do you have Stack Overflow? um do you have like twitter your linkedin and everything um they're actually probably some of the first things that i actually click on so somebody's applied to a job um i want to look on their twitter like what are they tweeting about linkedin what are they posting about it does matter more for juniors potentially for like seniors but if you're quite active on those platforms then like why not have it don't leave it for the person to start doing the searches and, and find you I definitely relate it as well. Like if you're going to have a Twitter account and um, you mainly use it to rant about Scottish rugby, then maybe just create a <laughs> Twitter account because that's yes. mainly what I've been doing. Um, and I create a new account in the end. And yeah, it's mm. the best way to do it. It's particularly if you maybe create uh, someone I know is learning to code at the moment and uh, she's created a, a themed 
um, tra- mm. Twitter account around her journey to code. And that's quite, quite yeah. a good way to do it. And the community on Twitter is great. Uh, like when I got made yeah. redundant from a job, I must have got like, uh, I tweeted about it. I must have got over a hundred like messages wow. like, suggesting stuff. Like it's, yeah, definitely don't sleep on Twitter and definitely have a LinkedIn for sure as a junior. Like you can get away with it a bit more as an experienced um, yeah. candidate. Yeah. I agree with your tip about the specific email as well because um, once you're about a year into your career, it can get a bit, uh, you can get flooded a little bit and, you know, certain unscrupulous recruiters who, who aren't, who mm-hmm. aren't you, um, but I, there is one company I who so. I will not name um, who mm. are based in London who I've requested to be off their mail list probably 10 times and they email me every week. Uh, and it's wow. very annoying. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, do you know what, actually, what they're going to do? Sue me. Explore group. <laughs> take me off your mail list, please. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I've oh, asked no. and you haven't. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I might. I mean, actually. Now. I mean, actually, they, they they legally have to because that's a that's a GDPR request. Yeah. Um. So they could be hit with a, a pretty hefty a pretty hefty fee. Yeah, it's like four um, percent of turnover, isn't it, or something like it's quite strict. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I might, I, might, I might check if I'm legally allowed to say that and maybe edit that out. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. And we we've talked about the um one side where how does a recruiter know they're working with a good junior candidate um i've obviously mentioned possibly anonymously depending on what i decided in the editing process about a um about a unscrupulous uh, recruiter um how, how does someone know they're working with a good recruiter like yourself um so i'm actually working on an article about this it's about halfway done so i'm hoping at time of publishing of this podcast um, it will be ready so i'll share that link to that article with you um i absolutely i mean first of all i really sympathize with people from like the stories that i've heard and the experiences that like people have had um it, you know it's not great it's not good to deal with it it's your career it's your future and you know you deserve to be um treated with respect and um for anyone that might be losing hope a little bit there are like really good recruiters out there that that you know treat people like people not like they're a number and um, take your career seriously and, and are there to like fight your corner um so if you are a little bit skeptical, um, there are a few ways that like you can identify good recruiters. Um, the first one is probably the most obvious is just having a look on their LinkedIn and just seeing like what is the content that they're posting because I think there's two subsets of people. There's people that literally just post, "Hi, I've just uploaded this job. Please click on the link to see more details and apply." And that is literally just that over and over. And um, so you probably see those people quite a lot. And um, and then there's other people who you can tell um, really like spend a lot of time putting out valuable content to the community. Like they're sharing tips on LinkedIn and um, they're being vocal about like important issues, especially around like DNI and stuff like that. They're probably the people that like you want to invest like your time with like a little bit more if somebody has reached out to you have a look at like what's the content of like the introduction um, message and you know have they like looked at your profile is it a relevant job first of all and have they included like good details like have they highlighted the culture and so that's something I always do you know they have this kind of like working culture and they have like these kind of like things around like DNI this is like the retention this is the salary for the role if a recruiter sent you that and it's a good amount of information, but like you haven't really spoke to them before, I think they're always worth the message. And I think it's always worth building relationships with recruiters, even when you're not looking, because things can change at like a drop of a hat. You know, we've heard of like 
so many people reached out to me just before Christmas because the companies were making people redundant, which is an awful thing to do. Um, but they were like, oh, because you sent me a message like a couple of months ago and, and I kept tabs on you. I just wanted to reach back out. So um, we're also a really good source of information if you want to know what market salary is. If you haven't moved jobs in two years, there is a good chance you are underpaid. So you want to be armed with that kind of information to be able to negotiate like a pay increase. Um, and often job adverts don't have salaries on them, but like recruiters will know, like I can tell you off the top of my head, you know, what, what's the go rate for a senior front end developer with, you know, like React and TypeScript experience. Um, so ask a few people be able to like bring that together. So that's why it's good to keep in touch, like in the long run. You also want somebody that like respects your boundaries as well. So like if like you've told somebody that like you can't take calls in the mornings particularly and they're like ignoring that, then they're just obviously not really respectful of like you and like your job. So like I always ask people like, hey, like what's the best way like you want to like keep in touch? Do you want a LinkedIn message now and then? Like do you want to like keep in touch via WhatsApp? Do you want like job specs through like periodically via email? So I think if somebody asks you that, then it's definitely like a really good sign. And particularly if you're listening to this and you're somebody who is from an underrepresented group, is it's important to identify a recruiter that does actually fight for those underrepresented groups. So, you know, I've had people that have reached out to me on LinkedIn because they've said, um, so, you know, I um, you know, I'm 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 non-binary and I've been um, through some quite horrible experiences and um, you know I've been like misgendered and people treating me as a bit of like a diversity like token and stuff like that and I'm a little bit lost like what to do so they know that because of the content I post on LinkedIn so I think they're some of the key things to look out like when you're working with a recruiter yeah absolutely I think you can clearly see which invest uh, which recruiters are investing in their own careers and it's almost like you're making a long-term bet uh, on a recruiter when you work with them um, because you know if that person's putting in the effort, then they're going to be a great person to partner with throughout your career, uh, especially even if they don't have any jobs for you right now, but they provide you a friendly advice. Like there were a couple of recruiters that did that for me when they didn't have a job for me when I was a junior, but you can bet like if I look for a new job, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to them because they gave me impartial advice. And I actually have a list of people that ignored me and then messaged me about another job. Uh, and they're all on a list where I, <laughs> I, I, I won't do business with them. Um, but That's a yeah. good idea. It's a good idea, though, like have a, you know, have a have a green list and, and like a blacklist of, of people that you would probably work with because maybe six months down the line, you won't remember like off the top of your head. Um, so it's really good to kind of like have that information on hand. And I think just the final thing to add to that is working with somebody that is specialized in that field. So, you know, it kind of goes back to what we touched on with the code and things. So there are generalist recruiters, but however, tech is so broad um, like if you've got somebody that's doing like development as a whole, the chances are that they're going to be able to present you with a variety of like front end, like senior roles is going to be like a lot smaller. So it's quite, it should be clear from their profile. So people know that I cover Northwest and remote um, all like JavaScript roles, front end, full stack and back end. So um, try and kind of like keep tabs on that because they're not going to try and hound you with jobs that are maybe not very relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And the more specific and niche, uh, you know, a, a recruiter works on, then the chances are obviously it makes sense, right? They're gonna they're gonna be able to provide you uh, with, you know, be, um, with better roles. And um, it's not necessarily that a generalist recruiters are bad 
um yeah with, but it's just that they won't i think what we're saying is they just won't necessarily have the exact kind of roles like i know if i was if i was uh well especially doing remote as well i was going to say if i was living down in the northwest then i would uh and you know i knew i needed a react role and i could definitely reach out to you to kind of get you covered where is if i went to um you know the generalist recruiter they maybe will throw one thing at me and uh you know i won't i won't i won't have a great selection um and what yeah. about when you get through that um, that first uh, stage, and you've got a maybe you've got a great external recruiter that you're partnering with, and uh, they put you forward for a great job. It's the dream job. Um, you you know uh, you look at the hallowed gates and you want to get involved in that company. Um, but mm. there's a few things in the way, and the first one is the phone slash cultural screening um, mm. at, at the start, which has tripped up many a dev in the past. How would you advise mm-hmm. people go go about and approach those calls? So my first piece of advice is, even if it's an entry-level role, is that these interviews are always two-way. Um, it should be a really good opportunity for you to find out whether you're going to be the right fit for the company. And any decent hiring manager will respect that because the last thing that they want is to go through all the effort of hiring somebody, potentially paying a fee to a recruiter, onboarding them, training them, just for them to leave in like six months. So um, make sure that you have like plenty of questions to ask. It's really hard when it comes to that kind of like first interview because it's always that kind of like getting to know you a little bit, like talk to me about like what you did here. Um, So I think firstly is hiring managers can very easily tell when you are trying to blag something and there is no way you can know everything at the level of like career that you are at, even for like senior engineers, like you rely on Google a lot of the time and that's a well-known thing. So don't try and blag anything. It is okay to say, do you know what? I I don't actually know enough about that area to to be able to give a confident answer in it. However, relating to that, I have used this test in library and like what I found with that and then try and like move it into like a slightly kind of different direction, but don't like derail it like a little bit too much. Um, I think also honesty, like again, when I speak to hiring managers and I say, what are like some of the really good junior like interviews that you've had? And they said, do you know what? Like they didn't know this, they didn't know this, but they came off so like honest. They came off really passionate. You could tell that they would gel like really well with the team, that they would be vocal if they had any kind of like challenges. Um, so I think when you speak, speak with conviction because I can genuinely at this point in my career, it sounds weird to say, I think I could probably blag like most interviews because I know how to speak with that kind of like confidence as well in areas that I am fairly like knowledgeable in anyway. So, you know, don't start off an answer with, do you know what I, th- I think, you know, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know, like what, like, what do you think? And, you know, when you start using that kind of like language, like cut it out. And I think particularly women as well, we like self-sabotage so much. Like I sometimes start writing an email and just like, oh, would it be possible to do this? Like, do you think, or I think once you start using that language, you start planting that seed of doubt. So go into something with confidence, do your research on the company, mention something. A really good way to do this, by the way, is following the company's Twitter. People, I don't know why, again, companies, like a lot of them I've seen use LinkedIn less um, and I've seen them post on Twitter so much. So you can say, oh my gosh, like I actually saw that, like you partnered with like this company. Actually, I'd like love to hear more about that because I'm really interested in that area. Do you have a team working on this? And I think that shows like you've obviously done like your research versus somebody that is like, oh, like I know you're a company that, like, you know, builds this platform and stuff like that. So be prepared for those questions. And my final piece of advice is um, research the interviewers. Um, so whoever is coordinating your, 
coordinating your interview, ask them to send you information, ask them to send you the LinkedIn profiles. You might have gone to the same university. You might have some of the same interests. Like give yourself something to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've used that um, in both recruiter interviews back in the day and, and uh, as, a, as a dev. And, um, you know, it's amazing how you can find common ground with someone. A big one is the uni. Like, oh, my God, you went to Birmingham too. Or, uh, oh, I see you're also a rugby fan or, you know, uh, yeah. anything like that. You know, you can you can use. I think it's called the similar to me effect in like HR um, uh, like studies. Um, but, yeah, it's a really powerful way. And I totally agree with you about like speaking with conviction. It's hard to get used to. And um, yeah. I, I have no shame in admitting this now. Um, I, I, when I'm driving by myself in my car, I actually like to practice speaking about technical topics um, concisely oh. and clearly. And it's, yeah, I, I was a bit embarrassed about it at first, but I was actually telling my friend about this, who's, uh, who's a comp sci student at the moment. And mm-hmm. I was saying, do you know what? I'm not actually embarrassed about it. It's, <laughs> it's a great way to practice. And um, that is great, to be fair. And, yeah. And, um, I, I, my aux in my car was broken for ages, so I couldn't listen to any music I liked anyway. So uh, <laughs> it was the next best thing to do. So um, yeah, that, that that's what I uh, that's how I practice it, and I totally agree. It's hard to it's hard to come up with the conviction tone sometimes if you're not used to if uh, if it's something you haven't really practiced public speaking much or anything like that. But um, yeah, absolutely. And um, we've talked about um, how you can help uh, an entry level developer uh, stand out as a recruiter. Um, but say a relative uh, came to you and they just went to school and they said, you know, um, I want to I want to be a developer or I want to I want to work in tech in general. What's the advice you would give to them in, in 2022 as we're now in? So my first piece of advice would be to like research into some of the different roles. I'll see if I can um, find the link, but I believe um, there's a page on Code Fair Scales. Um, so they also kind of have boot camps and stuff, but they have a page on their website where it talks about like the different kinds of roles, because I think sometimes people think like, you know, a lot of roles are like non-technical as well um you know you've got like agile delivery manager roles you've got like testing roles project managers and oh devops engineers and designers and... as well which is the day i started working with a dedicated ui ux designer my life changed as a front-end developer they are the unsung yeah. heroes of the tech world yeah yeah absolutely and i think as well is like different kinds of roles might suit different sorts of like personalities and interests so um, especially when you're on Twitter, I find like tech Twitter can be very heavily focused around even specific like technologies within like developers. So if I was just on there, I would think like JavaScript and Python are like the only programming languages. <laughs> so don't let that kind of like cloud your judgment. So um, I would also follow like some um, like prominent like YouTube channels as well. Like listen to those people talk about like their kinds of roles and um, figure out what you want to go into before jumping into it because you know, it could potentially be a, quite a decent like time and money investment. Um, so once once you've done that and you figured it out, okay, like maybe yeah, okay, I want to go into being like a UX designer. Then look at the different routes that you can take. I think the wonderful thing about the shift in the tech industry over the last few years is how accessible roles have become. So traditionally. Um, you know, a lot of people probably would have gone and done like a comp side degree, as like you mentioned, taken that traditional route. But for a lot of people like that might not necessarily be an option. So out of all the people that like I know, people that I have placed, they come from um, self-taught backgrounds. I just placed a guy who 
has like four years um experience he was like a sound engineer um so will if you're listening to this hi um he just started his job like this week with my client um so he was completely self-taught like sound engineer like barely barely related to development um he is now basically at like a principal level um and a placement like 83k um so if you think that people have to take that degree to get those really good jobs with the high salaries that's like the proofs in the pudding like it is absolutely achievable and you know what we attribute well we talked about this he attributes like his interpersonal skills to a lot of that like progression there's not a lot of people that you know you know with that many years of experience on that kind of like salary so Mm. like leverage that Dig one a tangent a little bit there. I was going to say drinks on Will uh, with, with that new salary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, but so there's different routes that you can take, like, and there's pros and cons to both, right? So if you go for a boot camp, um, you will obviously have to quit your job, maybe, um, and then also invest like a little bit of money in it. But they do have like a really good like employability rate with like some great companies. Um, also, there are different kinds of boot camps. So if you're Manchester based, um, obviously you've got like North Coders, which is kind of like full time. There's also Manchester Codes, which is like an evening school. So you could do that if you want to like keep on working. But, you know, keep in mind, let's say like you're like looking after like kids and stuff. It could be tough. Like find one that works for you. I do also know they offer some um like financial options as well. And um, so if you can't pay like the fee up front, and um, there's also free coding schools. So there's also a school of code who, of code um, I'm mentoring yeah. at the moment. Uh, they're, they're, oh, amazing. Is awesome. I can't believe, uh, hi Akwe, if you're listening, I can't believe how well <laughs> he's come on in the last like two months. Like it's, uh, yeah, they, their curriculum is fantastic. Yeah, so there's like so many different options out there. So yes, you might not necessarily have to pay loads of money. You might not have to quit your job. Um, so also get recommendations from people as well because like you want to be going into like a good boot camp. If you're from uh, listening from London, I know there's um there's like Flat Iron School and um, there's mm. like Makers Academy. So um just see what works for you. And a lot of them do do JavaScript. Yeah, I was gonna say up here in Scotland as well. CoClan um is the uh, is the way to go. They, they've got fantastic. Uh, results uh, hence the name though they're, they're only up here in scotland but uh yeah if you want a good role in edinburgh and glasgow co-clan um, is a great option okay yeah i know that's um that's really good and one thing to keep in mind is a lot of the boot camps do do javascript and uh, there are other options so code fair scales um obviously including the title um it's pretty much uh, just mainly for like women um and they also offer courses on i think like data engineering or like python cool. and stuff like that yeah which is really cool so you can do that if you want to be self-taught, you know, you want to learn at like your own pace, just, you know, do appreciate that. You're probably going to need a very high level of like discipline for that. You might not have like as much support into like getting a job, but you're going to really have to leverage like networking and building a personal brand, but it's definitely doable. So once you get to that point, um, start sharing like your journey um, and then like start reaching out to like some companies when you start feel like, like you're ready to do it start building up that CV and get into that first job and don't put too much thought into it because I know people that have gone into being like UX designers and then moved into front-end development the great thing is is once you've got your foot in the door you can move into different roles and it it's not exclusive but it works really well if you're in a bigger company so again you've got to think about like do I want to go into like a quite a big like corporate company do I want to go into a startup there's pros and cons to both so you have to think about your personal situation like what you're going to enjoy the best so when I started working for a startup company I did things that like I would never even imagine of being allowed to do 
um before and getting like public speaking opportunities so um like give it give it a go and then know that like your options are still going to be open and you're not boxed into that company and that role for forever yeah I, I definitely agree and like the the employment market's fluid and your strategy that you mentioned of just getting into the tech company um is also a great way to do it if you want to retrain as a developer um but you're currently totally non-technical uh, a really nifty strategy is to get yourself into a tech company which is what i did at third eye labs um who i, I will always be grateful for them and congratulations on their recent acquisition um they uh, uh they basically said to me you know you can be our recruiter four days a week and uh, a software engineering intern one day a week so that was what got me my start and i was able to gradually move over that way so it's a great strategy um to use as well yeah, so something I actually um, haven't touched on yet and uh, at all on the podcast, um, and you suggest this, I thought was a great question, is how can candidates tap into the hidden job market, all these jobs that aren't openly advertised by companies? Hmm. I mean, firstly, when we start we start talking about the hidden job market, people are just like, oh, what, what, you know, how, how does this work? So, I mean, there's a few scenarios where this can arise. So company has a requirement, they start reaching out to people in their network and recruiters and don't actually advertise them um online or you know they start getting things like moving so quickly they're like we're not going to do an indeed advert this time and you could potentially miss that but there's another kind of like aspect to it where like people may not have an opening but then really like your experience your approach like who you are and create a role for you this has genuinely happened to so many people so i mentor people that are trying to break into the industry and some of the things that I task them with at the start of our mentoring journey is to build connections in LinkedIn. I give them a list of like job titles. So head of engineering, technical leads, head of recruitment, CTO, CEO, start adding those people at the companies that they know that they would like to work at and then tell them once they connect with you, send them a little message, send them a warm message. You know, it could be something um, which is like, hey, like, thank you so much for connecting. Like, really like this on um, like the company's website, little project that you're working on. Just thought I'd see like, I can't see any junior openings, but I would love to be kept in the loop if anything does come up in the future. Like, here's my CV. Um, and you will be surprised how many people genuinely get results from that. So the hidden job market is huge. Um, you can also ask people for referrals as well. Um, so let's say you've got a friend who did like a boot camp, you're self-taught, you pretty much have the same level of experience and you're like, hey, like I know that you joined AO like a couple of months ago. Um, do you think like they might be looking to bring on like more juniors? And then again, that's hidden job market. That's not an advertised role. You will unlock so many more opportunities that you don't just see on the job boards. And another massive benefit of this is you could have no competition. You could mm, have no competition. Absolutely. Yeah, so this is a scenario that's actually happened. So one of my mentees told them to, and um, they said they connected with the CEO of this company, they got a conversation going and then created a role for them. And because that wasn't advertised, there's no applicants. You're the only person in that race. Like how amazing would that be? And it starts the relationship off on the right foot because this person is like, I'm impressed. They are so proactive. They're obviously really interested in the company, you know, rather than like, here's a job, here's an applicant. Okay, let's interview you. So um, for any, and this this doesn't just go for people that are like an entry level as well. Um, it's worked for seniors too. And going back to the working with the tech recruiter, we can help you do this. So 
Um, I'm working with a guy at the moment who is looking for like a, a sort of like head of role. Um, and because he knows the kind of companies that like I work with, he's like, I'm really keen for working with the startup that, you know, potentially need this kind of thing in like digital transformation. So I'm proactively having conversations with my clients that may not necessarily be hiring. So you can tap into the hidden job market yourself. But if you've got a recruiter that you like and you trust, they can do it for you. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, that. That's all fantastic advice. I'm not really sure what else I can add to that because that, that was very <laughs> comprehensive. Um, right. I, I would definitely say as well, referrals um, are such a good way in. Um, and like I've seen it for myself, like people just skip a um, uh, people just skip a stage often. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, a lot of the time, like I, I was in a position once where I was lucky enough to be the only candidate for the job because they created mm-hmm. a new role. Um, and as you said, it's uh, yeah, it's a great way to um, it's a great way to get yourself in. And also networking as well it doesn't have to be people you already know. Like LinkedIn is mm. a great platform. And um, something I wanted to ask you about as well was uh, let's say you've seen your dream startup. You see that CEO's LinkedIn profile yeah. right in front of you or CTO. Um, mm. And you've got uh, to quote Eminem, one shot, one opportunity. <laughs> what do you send to that, uh, that person in what is it? 200 characters roughly, I think. Yeah, I think um, just firstly is don't make it too short and don't make it too long. Um, you want to make it like personalized. If it's a job, a company you would love to work at, spend a little bit of extra time tailoring it. It's not possible to do that for every message. But if this is your one shot for that, um, then don't send something which they're going to be like, this is quite clearly copy pasted. Um, even if it's just the first couple of lines and the rest you copy and paste and, and you put on other messages. Um, you want to, like, first of all, state the reason why you're reaching out. So they might have posted about something recently. Look at their recent activity. Is there anything that like you've got in common? And then go in with some detail, like a little bit about you. So, you know, hey, like I'm Parallel, I'm a tech recruiter. I've been doing this for three and three and a half years. Um, I've recently been teaching myself to code and um, I saw uh, this, start- I was trying to think of like a startup name then. I'm just like, um, let's say it was Uber in the early days. You know, I think um, Uber are obviously like making waves in, um, in the travel industry. This could be like eight years ago now. Um, I know that like you've been hiring for people at like a senior level. I know obviously I'm at that junior level. I don't see any openings, but because I'm like, I see a lot of our values aligned. So um, I just thought I would reach out just to see if there might be anything that you could do for in the future. Um, and then just kind of like leave it on there. I do actually also have an article coming out on this. So um, if that is out by the time in terms of like crafting intro messages, I think they keep it brief enough that like they're going to read to the end, but don't absolutely inundate them with like information. Yeah, totally agree. Like uh, a lot of these people, particularly in a startup, they're very, very, very busy. Uh, so, you know, they'll, uh, um, I, do you know what? One of the best ones, I'm going to see if I can dig it out and put it in the link uh, in the description of this podcast. Um, a guy who is graduating university uh, messaged Evan Spiel, uh, the, um, uh, the founder of Snapchat uh, on an email. And he just said like, so it was like a three-line email. He was like, "I know you're so busy, but I just want to say I just absolutely love what you're doing, and I would, um, I, I would basically give anything for an internship here. Um, I really think I could make an impact early on. Here's my portfolio." Yeah. Um, and he messaged back, he's saying like, "I really appreciate your uh, how yeah. concise you are. Here's the recruiter," and he he skips all the way through. And I mean, what kind of other uh, uh, you know um, backing do you want from the CEO of the company? I mean, obviously they weren't publicly traded back then, but it's a pretty uh, pretty cool way to. Um, uh, to get your name uh, out there. 
Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to your yeah. article um, coming out and that'll be in the link, uh, that'll be linked in the description here. Yeah. Uh, all your blog will be linked. Well, both will be linked uh, and hopefully the article is out um, roughly sort of when this comes out as well. Um, and yeah, definitely. Um, so just on that as well, um, I, I will have like some examples of like really good messages, like people like me, like recruiters, hiring managers, um, you know, engineering managers, CTOs and stuff like they're getting like a lot of messages. So, you know, I can quite easily like have that distinction between kind of like, you know, what is like a, what is like a good message and things like that. And um, you also want to make sure like you follow up. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing your thoughts but I would generally say like at least three to five working days um it is a bit of a bugbear of mine um I know like the person's like looking for help and I really really respect that but like I could potentially not be working like I could be on holiday could be like really busy um so I would say kind of like leave it like three to five days before a follow-up but do follow up what do you reckon yeah I agree and uh, probably my worst experience ever as an internal recruiter was when I uh, I was off sick and I so I missed a day and I didn't respond to a guy after a day and he sent me this three paragraph message about how I was scum and like you <gasps> really care about the money and like you only care if you place a successful candidate you get a percentage oh of no I did take great pleasure messaging back and saying mate I'm internal it does make a difference <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> uh, yeah I mean it was quite I mean I'm quite uh headstrong like I, I i you know everyone becomes like that after working with mm. for a while but um that yeah. was yeah it was quite hurtful and i mean really yeah. he just he was actually quite a good candidate but there was no way he was getting mm. through off of that um so definitely don't send abuse to the recruiter like <laughs> i mean that should yeah. go insane, but um yeah and that was after one day so i agree with you um sad anecdote aside definitely wait yeah. for the working days you never know if someone's on leave um, I do like what you've done this week on your LinkedIn profile. You said I'm on leave until uh, whichever day um, you're on yeah. until, because uh, that's really useful actually as a candidate. So if any recruiters are listening, definitely do that because that, that's handy. Um, so you know roughly when you can expect a response. Yeah, I just realised that it says out of office till fourth of Jan, and it is now the sixth of Jan. So I will be swiftly removing that from my headline. Um, just as an FYI, again, any like recruiters or anybody, you can now set automatic replies on LinkedIn messages, just like you do on emails. Oh. Um, yeah, which is great. So if you click on like messaging, um, and then you click on the three dots at the top, and then uh, the last one is set away message. So anytime anybody messages you, let's say I'm off sick and I just really can't deal with anything at the moment, um, and just basically say, um, I am like out of office. I could link like my director's profile, like if it's urgent, get in touch with Julie or something. So yeah, you can also do that. But um, yeah, definitely just uh, just <laughs> I think everything is like you should always approach things from a point of empathy um there's always a human um at the other side of these things so you know whether it's a recruiter or like a hiring manager or a candidate um i think you attract more flies with honey than you do with vinegar absolutely yeah and that's a good saying um yeah and that, that's a really handy tip about the uh kind of out office auto linkedin response because i will probably do that as well um just for when i'm awake so i tend to get a few messages about the podcast and stuff yeah. like, i don't want to don't, don't want to uh, make people feel like i'm ignoring them so um, yeah, I mean, something that I actually made a uh, shout out to my TikTok. Uh, I've made a couple of TikToks on this uh, red and green flag uh, for employers. Um, how, how can you identify some good uh, red flags and green flags when you're looking at potential roles? Um, so I think, oh God, it's, it's such a tricky one. I think one that people talk about quite a lot is like when they when they mention things about uh, work hard, play hard. Red flag. <laughs> um, we're like a big family, red flag. Um, 
you know, there might be like some out of hours dependent on, let's say like you're working for a digital agency, they can be pretty brutal sometimes, not all of them, absolutely not generalizing, but, you know, we talk about, yeah, I mean, like we can obviously quite have a bit more of a workload dependent on client demands and, you know, you could be working like out of hours and stuff like that. I think understanding how they measure like success and progress as well. And, you know, what are like the metrics that they are using because you don't want to be working with somebody that is like, a micromanager like watching when you're online like counting how many tickets you're working through um a really good question to ask as well is like how do you like distribute the workload um when things start ramping up um how do you kind of like deal with scenarios where somebody might be like really struggling with their mental health in the team um i've encouraged people to like ask that especially when they're coming from a company that they're leaving because of those reasons and there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking that if i was in an interview issues i would be absolutely delighted to answer those kinds of questions because it means that like we probably like care about like the right things as well ultimately there is no one perfect way to figure out does this company have a great culture for me or does it not have a great culture for me and it's a bit of an unusual suggestion but um i have heard of people doing it and i know a lot of us are remote at the moment ask if it works for you ask if you can spend half a day in the office um at the end of a process so let's say like you've gone through all the stages that like, it sounds really good and stuff and just say hey you know before i make a decision on this like can i come in or like Friday morning or something it probably avoids like a Monday see how people interact with each other um see how they communicate you know are people quite isolated are they like talking to each other like in between um like are people willing to you know answer your questions if you have like questions um it doesn't always work if it's a fully remote company and if it's somewhere which is pretty local and Omicron isn't running uh, rampant wherever you are, then see if you can give that a go, because actually I think that's a great indicator um, of whether like it's going to be the right place for you or not. Absolutely. And another tip I found is uh, message, uh, connect with people on LinkedIn who already work at the company message and be like, hey, how's life here? Um, because, you know, they're not going to be in that interview situation. Where, <laughs> uh, the hiring manager is also there and they don't want to say, well, the work-life balance is awful. Uh, or something yeah. like that. So you can just get a genuine, candid response. And even better if you yeah. already know someone that works there, obviously. But, yes. Uh, yeah. It does help. And I think um, the final one to look out for would be, does it sound too good to be true? Because... Yes. Um, so I always debrief for my candidates after like interviews and, um, no company is perfect. If they're claiming to be, it is absolutely too good to be true. I have had candidates which said, I loved how honest they were about some of their challenges and some of the things that like they're trying to fix. Basically saying, you know, we're not really here in terms of like testing and, you know, it's been a little bit of a challenge. Actually, that's where we're hoping like you might be able to like come and help, but like this is these are the things that are like going really well that like we're building. Um so if they're honest with you and those are things that like you can definitely like deal with, I think that is a really big green flag. If a company tries to pretend that everything is absolutely perfect, like run a mile in the other direction. Yeah, absolutely. Because every organization faces challenges, it's about how they face those challenges that is the important thing. Like, you know, it's uh whether it's private sector, public sector, you know, there will be challenges. Like public sector might be you're running up against budget issues. Private sector might be that you're trying to beat someone to market and you don't know how, you, uh, how you're going to uh, do it against a bigger company or something like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of like <laughs> driven us towards the end of our lunch hour. So I really appreciate you taking so much time to... Uh, to, to speak with me um you talked about a couple of things to shout out already so um is there uh, anything do you want to go over those again um for the listeners like what you're working on like what people should look out for 
Um, yeah, I guess just to like finish off, I will um, send you links to all of my social profiles. Um, my inboxes are open. So if anybody ever wants to reach out for like any like, you know, impartial advice, I'm always happy to help. And if I can't, I will point you in the right direction. Um, so like feel free to connect with me there, sharing loads of the articles and stuff. Um, and in terms of some of the things that I kind of like mentioned in the start, so um, like Coach Your Future, um, so I am on the employability team. So like we will be looking for um, more companies to partner with. So particularly if you are a company that cares about like DNI um, as deeply as we do, we have such a diverse group of students that will be graduating soon. Um, or if you want to get involved in like volunteering, you know, similar to like your mentoring with like School of Code, um, always looking for like people to mentor as well. And I won't go into it too much but again the obvious one like if you're a javascript developer looking for a role i'm always posting lots on my linkedin so they're always kind of like northwest hybrid or like pretty much fully remote so that's probably all the stuff that i have for like self-promo and i will send any of the articles i've done one recently on like salary negotiation i'll have one with tips on working with a recruiter i'll have one with tips on like intro messages as well and again if there's any kind of like article content that like you'd like to see from me then feel free to reach out Fantastic. That sounds, that sounds great. And as you say, all links will be uh, in the description. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's been a fantastic episode in terms of like, the value people can get off this. So yeah, I'd just like to thank you again for your time. It's been, uh, been great. And uh, yeah, um, definitely any developers certainly who are listening should uh, reach out to you and uh, if they're looking for a new role or some advice. And uh, yeah, yeah. Couldn't, um, couldn't recommend yourself enough uh, in, term, in terms of that. So um, yeah, drop us both follows on LinkedIn. Um, and thank you as well, listener, um, for tuning into another episode of the Code of Career. Really appreciate your continued uh, continued support. And please do join our Discord if you are interested in uh, pairing up with people that are also in your situation. Kind of break into the industry. But until then, have a great week and happy coding.